Well, good morning, everyone. This is Bruce McKellar. I work with MSU Extension down in the southwest part of the state, and we are here at the Field Crops Virtual Breakfast. This morning, we're going to talk about irrigation scheduling after a wet spring. Our uh, specialist uh, presentation today will be from Stephen Miller, who is our irrigation specialist at MSU Extension. Just a reminder: We, uh, if you're if you're logged in, questions can come to us probably the easiest through the chat pod, and so go ahead and uh, click on the the chat pod at any time to do questions. Also, we have a uh, Phil Cates has put up our uh, a link that will click you to our evaluation for the session. So we'd appreciate it greatly if you could uh, fill the evaluation as you as you uh, complete this meeting this morning. It would help us. Uh, a little feedback as to how we're doing. So, well, without further ado, I'd like to introduce Stephen Miller and uh, his talk on uh, irrigation scheduling after this very wet spring. Steve? Thanks, Bruce, and good morning. The uh, slide that's up now has uh, contact information for both myself and for Lyndon Kelly. Uh, Lyndon is the uh, Purdue and MSU irrigation educator. The websites listed are important because we're going to go through a lot of material today very quickly. Uh, we will, this presentation will be available on the, the Crops Team Virtual Breakfast uh, uh, website as well as will be on uh, the MSU website. You can either click on this link or just Google MSU Irrigation or our names and you will should get up and get, get the data. So, couple of reminders. First of all, there are some additional resources available on the delayed planning website developed by MSU Extension. There's also a, a Ag Innovation Day scheduled this year focusing on precision agriculture that pays. It will be uh, July 26th in, here at MSU. So with our late planning, our cool, wet weather, we shifts in the development curves. These uh, are going to change and make irrigation more critical in this year. For one thing, we have shorter, less extensive root zones, uh, therefore less bottler water available in our, in our bank, in our field capacity. Uh, therefore, we might, we need to keep that in consideration as far as when we're deciding. With a slow develop, slow development, uh, it's we're going to be work hard toward balancing avoiding drought stress with concern for aggravating crop crop disease. If you're still thinking about predict about planting soybeans, there's uh, we ran I ran soy water. That's a uh, irrigation program out of. Nebraska that's been adapted for Michigan, showing that with our late planning, uh, we're getting to R7 fairly late. Of course, harvest after that uh, resource if you want to take a look at that later. So with our good management with irrigation, we got to remember that uh, the, we can our, lose our crop loses a lot of water uh, when we get hot and, and dry, up to three tenths of a year. The graph shown is from Minnesota, but we have pretty similar situations here in Michigan. The uh, What we work with when we're working with this is a reference ET, or how much water will be lost to a well-watered grass. This is based on experiments that have been conducted. We need to adjust that for the crop that we have. 
uh, and there's some uh, some values for the various crops. So we need to adjust that in terms of subcrop like corn. We use more than the reference AT where some of the things where we have less canopy cover, we lose using less water. So where do we get this reference information? In Michigan, you can go to our fairly extensive EnviroWeather site uh, where you can get uh, data from uh, uh, both ET and, and rainfall at these sites. You can also get the information text or email to you every morning about 5.30 by going to the site and signing up for this information. So this will feed into some programs that we have. Uh, we have uh, Excel, MSU has an Excel spreadsheet. What we're doing with this is we're trying to keep our balance between, we don't want to over irrigate or go above the field capacity or the that point by which more our water flows by gravitational will look beyond our root zone. Obviously, we don't want to get to total depletion. So, allowable depletion during the year depends on the time of the year uh, in terms of allowing uh, this uh, early on. A little more deletion, a little more depletion is necessary. Although th this year that might we uh, probably should make sure if we can that we are uh, we're avoiding getting lower. We have a paper version of our scheduler that's available online at our websites. What's important as we go through this though is that we have a rain gauge at each field. You also might have some value, some of the, the companies, seed corn companies are from some of, the, uh, uh, some of the, the services you can provide might pro provide you that data. But it's important to have these rain gauges due to our variation in our, our local weather. <clears throat> We are developing a low-cost remote monitoring system. This is being developed by Dr. Youngsak Dong. He's a postdoc within Biosystems Ag Engineering, uh, working with me in London here at MSU. This system, which we can be implemented uh, in the field for about $250 per site, uh, can stores our data, puts it up to the web, and we can use this now. We've developed it now for both leaf lightness sensors and soil moisture sensors. So that's a quick overview. Again, there's a lot of information on our, our website. You have our contact information if you have questions. Uh, now we're going to turn it over to Lyndon Kelly. He's going to talk about the issues we might have with chemigation, with applying our particularly late fertilizer applications in this year. Lyndon? You want to go ahead? Thanks, Steve. I uh, appreciate the idea of Steve covering the irrigation scheduling first because we hear a lot of questions this time of year. If I have irrigation, can I use it to help me make up for some of the challenges I'm having with getting my nitrogen on or other or sulfur? Um, but if I don't have some kind of good method, the irrigation scheduling or a good uh, monitoring system, um, I I don't want to overfill the profile and push the nitrogen through that I'm doing the application. So Steve, if you can get me on to slide, uh, nope, we're bouncing through. If, um, if we think about issues, we've got lots of water for the plant out there, but we're, we want to put the nitrogen on. Sometimes irrigation is a good way to incorporate the nitrogen and use a fairly inexpensive and rapid system. Um, the, the extreme area would be the aerial application of nitrogen, ammonium sulfate or urea through the airplane, and then watering it in with two-tenths of an inch. Um, uh, some high-boy applications or tractor applications if we're short, 
we float over the top and dribble the nitrogen on and then hope for a rainfall the next night. If the rainfall doesn't come that evening, then we may use two-tenths of an inch or so to incorporate that. But most of us think about fertigation and chemigation as actually putting the fertilizer through the system, um, and that's a, an option too. Next slide down. Um, basically, we want to match that uptake curve. And remember, corn during the rapid growth phase is using the most of its nitrogen, um, but we want to have some nitrogen into that crop um, if we have the option to do fertigation. Um, one of the more important apl applications is going to be right at tasseling or right before tasseling. Um, yes, we'd like to get the most out of this uh, um, nitrogen, um, but we'd like to see that yield bump. This is especially important on sandy soils, and most of our irrigation is on sandy soils where we're more likely to have lost our early N and that where we may be more nitrogen challenged. Next slide, please. Um, if we are using irrigation for either application or watering in, it's a good idea to have it as uniform as possible. This graph is constructed uh, through a, a system we use of collecting data points. Um, each of those dots represent uh, the amount of water that was falling at that point. And as you notice, this machine puts less and less water on until you get to the far end and then the, the um, far end end gun um, overwaters. But uh, fertilizer put through this machine is going to have that same um, variable application. And uh, unfortunately, this one's light right at the far end. And remember, the far end of the machine is where most of the water application is done because of the geometry of the situation. Next slide, please. Yeah, Lennon, I think uh, we'll point out that when we've looked at this, a lot of our issues we have are, are with the end gun and with that lower reach. So it's important to, to really focus uh, on that. And, and that emphasizes the importance of, of getting your system ran uh, and making sure it's running properly as quickly as possible. Right. If, um, if we take a look at machines, there are some machines there's performance just, just not up to par. Um, if you look at the one in the background here, it's actually running the whole cornering arm um, right next to the road. So we're getting a, a tremendous over application in their area. So if you have machines that haven't, you haven't been through, it's bad to have water problems and waste water. But when you put a chemical through there, we're actually uh, uh, challenging our, the potential to, uh, to uh, actually damage our water supply underneath us. We'll talk a little bit about some of the other uh, ways of uh, looking at that. 85% uh, or greater as far as a uniformity test. If you haven't done a uniformity test, at least make sure that the machine is operating within 10% of what the package specifications are. So if a machine's supposed to be getting 50 pounds, we better uh, pressure at the center pivot point. Uh, we better be at between at least 45 and 55, or that's probably not a potential machine to run. Uh, no major leaks, no major runoff issues. Um, and then we want to make sure that we're not overfilling the profile. Next slide, please. Uh, to help us protect the groundwater underneath us or the uh, river water that we're pulling up, we use uh, chemigation backflow valves. This is a backflow valve that creates an air gap to break the um, vacuum uh, created by the lower water. Uh, when the water shuts off, the water wants to go back to its original level, and that's always going to be lower than the field level. 
So that vacuum valve, uh, um, that vacuum breaker within the chemigation valve is essential. Positive displacement pumps are a part, essential part of this whole system. Um, that gives us a way to shut off and turn on the system. Um, it also positive uh, displacement means that we're going to not put more on fertilizer on when we have uh, the supply tank full than we do when we're empty. Um, and it's important to remember when we're trying to put a lot of fertilizer on with a, a small application of water, say 60 pounds of N um, with only two tenths of an inch of water, it's going to take a much bigger pump than we commonly use for these situations. And then last but not least, we'd like that injection pump to be um, linked uh, to the rest of the system. We call that safety interlocking. And it's a uh, design that makes sure that if the center pivot shuts off, that the water shuts off and the fertilizer pump shuts off, or if any one of the three components, the fertilizer pump, the water pump, or the center pivot, uh, or the distribution system, if any of those shut off, the whole system goes down so that we're not um, putting a lot of fertilizer in one place. Uh, last slide. Uh, and then last thing to, to say there, if we are running irrigation and going to use it for fertilizer or chemicals, it's not a good idea to have that be the, the first trial run of the year. Think of all the years that you put irrigation and started. Uh, that startup day can be a rough day. Uh, everything from flat tires to leaks to uh, things that you didn't think about. Um, and uh, you want to have those all worked out of the system before we make it a little more complicated by putting the fertilizer or the chemical through it. If you have any questions about uh, fertigation or chemigation or using your irrigation to get more out of uh, your, your management, um, give me a call. I'd be glad to talk to people. My phone number's on the first slide. Steve? Okay. Uh, so, Bruce, you're going to take it sure. from here? For I can take it from here. I'll just have you advance this slide again. And I would like to thank you for attending this morning. Um, uh, of course, our field crops webinar series or Bruce we can't hear you oh, sorry can you hear me now or no yes Is thank you better? okay anyway we'd like to thank you for attending this morning our field crop uh, uh, virtual breakfast series and you can follow us on Twitter or like us on Facebook and, and uh, see our current activities Steve next slide please and just a reminder again that uh, we there's a chat window associated in on your screen with Zoom, and if you go to that, you can get the link, or you can uh, click on the link there, or just type this in Spitly uh, to get to our evaluation survey, which we greatly appreciate for the feedback on uh, on each of these sessions. So we're we're happy to have that. And with that. Uh, I think what we're going to do is switch gears, and Steve, if you would stop sharing your screen, and BJ, if you would uh, uh, start putting your presentation up and share it with us. And uh, fantastic. And uh, BJ is going to uh, give us an update on the weather, and. Uh, Maybe tell us a little bit about what you do for the Department of Geography. So why don't you go, we'll let you take it away, BJ. Yeah, uh, good morning, everybody. My name is BJ Bali. I'm a PhD candidate here in uh, the Department of Geography, Environment, and Spatial Sciences in East Lansing, Michigan. My research is looking at uh, historical climate variability and projected futures and uh, impacts on nitrogen leaching. So I thought the uh, previous talk there on a 
irrigation scheduling and uh, chemigation and fertigation was really interesting. Um, so obviously I'm not Jeff Andreessen who normally gives these uh, weather updates, but I work with him here and he asked me to step in and uh, give a talk this morning. So um, just to uh, get started, um, if we look at what happened over the last seven days across the state, we had uh, some very heavy rains earlier in the week in the uh, Southwest with some areas there getting uh, locally three or four inches, but uh, most of the rest of the state had less rain than we've had in previous weeks, and most of this fell earlier during the seven-day period. Um, as we moved through the week, uh, precip totals uh, did continue to be above normal there in the southwest part of the state and in the central lower peninsula, but if you headed over to the northwest part of the state or the east part of the state, they've actually dropped to uh, below normal levels for the daily periods in the last seven days. Uh, with all this water and rainfall that we've had the last, uh, well, last couple months and through the whole season, it's been incredibly wet. Um, we're still seeing below normal temperatures across the state, ranging anywhere from two to four degrees below normal there. Um, the coolest temps were in the eastern part of the thumb and the northeastern lower, um, and then up into the UP. Uh, but things are looking to change as we move forward into the next few weeks. Uh, just taking a look at what's out there this morning. Uh, if you're in the southeast part of the state, you're probably getting a little bit of rain right now. I just took a look at the radar before we uh, got on here with that frontal boundary there that you see on the map. Uh, most of these are chances of thunderstorms with a chance of rain, so they'll be scattered. Um, but what this really is indicative of is a pattern change that we've seen from what we've been experiencing the last several months where we're actually getting put under a ridge and we're starting to get warming temperatures. Um, some of the weather forecast discussions call it a ring of fire since um, we're actually back up to getting a to normal or above normal temperatures and that ridge allows those uh, warm temperatures to build in. Uh, with those warm temperatures and the abundant moisture supply though, we can get uh, periodic scattered thunderstorms and some of those might be heavy and uh, you can maybe see those on a daily basis and that's really where this chance of precipitation over the next couple days, as you see, um, looking at the forecast for tomorrow, that low pressure system pushes more into the region, um, but still a good chance of scattered thunderstorms, uh, mostly in the afternoon um, through the overnight hours. Um, probably tonight and into tomorrow is our greatest chance for uh, wide for thunderstorms across the region, but those evening thunderstorms are gonna be because they're mostly going to be due to convection rather than large scale systems like we've been seeing. Uh, there is a chance for isolated severe weather um, with these systems, uh, so that's something to keep an eye on, but it'll be quite scattered if it does occur. So really, um, might see some heavy rain in spots, but it'll really be more the exception than the rule. And moving into Saturday, um, more of the same, that low pressure system kind of stalls out, but again, really just a chance of... Uh, scattered thunderstorms um, and rain showers in different parts of the state. That's what that red hatching there over the rainfall means is a chance of uh, thunderstorms. Um, but with these warmer temperatures, uh, we will see a higher PET rate. So things might start to dry out in areas that don't get some rain or really start to. So it'll be interesting to see where things uh, go from here. 
And if we look at the uh, forecast seven-day precipitation totals, uh, we're looking at much more normal levels of rainfall. So really, this period of weather is would be normally unremarkable for this time of year. But considering the weather we've had, it is uh, it's a change of pace, and it's uh, good to get back to normal. But for the next seven days, uh, so this is going through Thursday, July fourth. This is showing the uh, seven-day forecast precipitation totals. And what we're seeing is across the lower, uh, southern lower, most of uh, this is projected to get probably about a half to three quarters of an inch of total rainfall over the next seven days. Those totals gradually increase as you move north, um, heading up towards an inch of forecast rainfall. Uh, but again, a lot of this will be scattered. It may not be as widespread as what we've previously seen. Um, Moving forward um, in the six to 10 day outlook, um, so this would be July 2nd through 6th, if you see that plot there on the left, what that's showing is the upper air pattern, so 500 uh, millibars, and it's showing that there's a ridge uh, building in across the Midwest, um, and it looks like it's going to persist, but it's weakening with time. So if you saw the Jeff's talk last week, the longer range outlook had a bigger, more strong pronounced arc in those lines, which means a stronger ridge. Um, that ridge that we're currently under is going to weaken with time and slide westward. Um, it will leave Michigan warmer than normal, um, which you can see in that upper right map. That's the uh, projected probability for temperature for the next six to 10 days, with most of Michigan in the uh, 50 to 70 percent range for chance of above normal temperatures. But with that ridge sliding back to the west and weakening, uh, we do have more of a chance for uh, more convective rainfall, which that map on the lower right there, showing anywhere between a 33 to 50% uh, chance uh, for above normal precipitation for that time period. So it's not gonna stay warm and dry forever, but um, it is going to uh, be warmer at least. And the uh, rainfall there, um, won't be as widespread as what we've uh, previously experienced. So hopefully we'll see some improvement there in field conditions as we move forward. Um, going a little bit longer out into July and then also for the late summer, July, August, September, that map there on the top is the one month outlook for temperature and precipitation on the left. You notice there's a uh, big blue blob there in the middle. And what that's showing is chance of below normal temperatures is elevated. So there's a better than equal chance that temperatures will be below normal through the month of July for much of the lower. And really what that is, is a persistence of weak El Nino conditions in the equatorial Pacific. Um, that does lead to somewhat cooler temperatures in the summer, but really a lot of it is also dynamical feedback from the models with the uh, warm or the high soil moisture values across the Midwest. Uh, and you'll see that also in the above normal precipitation probabilities there on the right. So through July, we're looking at a possible return of persistent upper air patterns that could lead to cooler and wetter weather. And then as we look forward to the summer, uh, July through September, so later half of the growing season, heading towards fall, um, a lot of it stays the same as what they're showing through July. They, the long leads backed off a bit. So it's more equal chances for above or below normal temperatures. The models don't really have a good agreement on which way that's going for the lower peninsula, but we're just on the edge of that area where below normal temperatures are expected and also equal chances for above or below normal precipitation. So it'll be interesting to see where uh, things move through the summer. 
So just to conclude, a couple of quick summary points. Uh, right now, we're under a relatively stable upper air pattern. Um, it does look like it'll weaken a little bit over the next six to 10 days. But in the meantime, uh, very summer-like weather is likely to occur during the upcoming week with highs in the mid to upper 80s across most of the lower peninsula. Um, in the short term, there's a good chance of scattered showers and thunderstorms uh, uh, on an almost daily basis through the next week, but they'll likely be scattered. Your best chance for rain, substantial rainfall is probably in the next 24 to 48 hours across the Lower Peninsula, particularly during in the southern part of the Lower. Um, so there's a good chance some isolated severe thunderstorms and heavy rain possible, but it's really more of an exception. Not expected to be widespread. Um, temperatures through the next week, uh, slightly above normal temperatures uh, remain. And then uh, as we move into July, uh, we're expecting norm warmer than normal temperatures that are forecast to continue into the middle of the month with above normal rainfall. And the uh, new long lead outlook suggests a return of cooler and wetter than normal weather during the second half of July with no forecast direction that was at equal chances on temperature and rainfall during the late summer. So with that, um, happy to take any questions. Thanks.